Hello, I'm Rebecca Rosewood, and this is Thrice Cursed. Warning, Thrice Cursed is a true crime and paranormal podcast. It is intended for mature audiences. Some graphic depictions of violence and other unpleasant material may exist beyond this point. For more specific content warnings, please reference the episode notes. First and foremost, Happy Thanksgiving! I'll spare you my singing, even though my inner Linda Belcher is dying to emerge for her annual Thanksgiving Day song. So, you're welcome. I've just given you one more thing to be thankful for. Luke, on the other hand, will not be so lucky later, as I will have to sing it at least thrice. If I'm anything, it's on brand. Hopefully, wherever you're spending your holiday, you're safe, loved, and warm. As most of us true crime aficionados know, the holidays can be a dangerous time. Whether it's burglars or family members, crime rates seem to skyrocket around the more major holidays. I'm not here to talk about burglaries, though. Instead, I'll be destroying your holiday cheer with a tale of family conflict and murder. So buckle up and grab that pumpkin pie for comfort, or your meat mallet and turkey, whichever more suits you, because it's about to get dark. As many of us know, the holidays, while joyous for some, can be absolutely miserable for others. Some experience extreme loneliness and depression, while others struggle with the overwhelming stress that can come from spending an extended amount of time with certain family members. Around these times, domestic violence increases. Whether it's from the stress of family time, financial strain, increased alcohol consumption, or simply the extra time off of work, the holidays are a hotbed of contention. And for one family in Chester, Virginia, this year, it would prove to be too much. The Gaddis family home consisted of youth pastor Christopher Gaddis, his wife Jeanette, and Jeanette's daughter Candace, or Candy, Lau Coons. Gaddis and Jeanette, both 58, lived in a typical suburban home in the 14,000 block of Dogwood Ridge Court. Candace was 30 at the time and had recently returned home from Oregon with her boyfriend, 36-year-old Andrew E. Buthorn, to stay for a few days. Jeanette, ever the loving mother, was thrilled to have her daughter staying with her and was more than happy to welcome her and her partner into her home. Which is why when her visit became less and less temporary, Jeanette didn't protest. Christopher, on the other hand, was less than pleased, to put it lightly. Despite appearing to have a good relationship with his stepdaughter, her and Andrew's continued presence in the home was grating on Christopher's last nerve. The couple had been staying with Jeanette and Christopher for six weeks when tensions finally boiled over. At approximately 11.15 p.m. on Thursday, November 23, 2017, or Thanksgiving, Christopher Gaddis went upstairs and retrieved his pistol before returning to his family downstairs. Candace, Andrew, and Jeanette were enjoying their evening together playing a board game when Gaddis appeared in the doorway, his gun aimed towards Jeanette, finger on the trigger. Jeanette was shot first, followed by his panicking stepdaughter, who had, in her final moments, 
hit record on her cell phone. Then Gaddis's attention was turned to Andrew. Having seen what Gaddis had just done to the family members he loved, he hid behind the kitchen table, pleading, I will go out. I will leave. After all, that's what Gaddis had wanted this whole time, for he and Candace to leave. Surely he could now and his attacker would calm down, right? Unfortunately, Christopher Gaddis was anything but logical at that moment. He followed the fleeing Andrew through the house and out the front door. It was on the front lawn that Gaddis shot Andrew twice through the stomach, leaving no survivors. When Andrew fled the home, the Gaddis family security alarm went off, signaling patrolling officer Frazier, who was already nearby. Upon Frazier's arrival just minutes later, he observed Christopher Gaddis just sitting on the porch steps while Andrew's body lay in the grass nearby. The officer asked how many people had been shot, to which Gaddis responded, three. Frazier then instructed Gaddis to lie face down on the ground and handcuffed him before calling for backup. While awaiting backup to secure the scene, Gaddis had some interesting words for Officer Frazier. They're probably all dead. They all came at me. They kept threatening me. They threatened to kill me. A text from Gaddis to Jeanette's phone where he said he was scared and begged for them to back off seemed to confirm this claim. That is, until further evidence was examined. Prior to Thanksgiving, Jeanette had become unnerved by some of Christopher's behavior. He seemed to be more irritable and agitated. And because of this, she began to record her interactions anytime it seemed he was upset. Two nights before Thanksgiving, someone in the home had accidentally spilled wine on the carpet. As someone with a faux fur rug who is also a klutz, I get it. Wine stains and it's a bitch to clean it properly before it sets. But he took the frustration too far. He pushed beyond the understandable, fuck, seriously, and straight to physical violence. Fueled by anger and alcohol, Gaddis shoved his wife and didn't appear to be backing down. Afraid for her, Andrew put himself between the two in an effort to calm the situation. Gaddis later sent Andrew a text about the encounter saying, Sorry you stepped into a bad situation. Sounds an awful lot like one of those sorry-you-feel-that-way kind of non-apologies, if you ask me. Uh, you didn't, of course, but I'm telling you anyway. <laughs> there were several instances of Gaddis starting arguments, most of which were in regards to the presence of the two additional people in his home. Apparently, following the strange behavior and increased arguments, Jeanette Gaddis asked an adult nephew of hers to hide a gun. She was fearful that Gaddis would use it. Clearly, those fears were not unfounded. At around 6 p.m. the evening of Thanksgiving, Gaddis once more approached the young couple. They were spending time in the hot tub in the backyard. An argument ensued, and it must have been somewhat loud as Jeanette overheard and rushed to intervene. She turned her phone camera on and hit record. On the footage, you could see Gaddis shaking his finger at them as he yelled. Jeanette now on scene. Gaddis retreated upstairs. From upstairs, he could hear the trio discussing him and his behavior. What exactly was said, I'm unsure. The court documents from this, as far as I could find, were not publicly released. It was then that Gaddis sent the message to Jeanette, claiming that he was afraid of her and Candace. 
It was a weird message, certainly, so Jeanette sent it to her nephew, stating that Christopher was acting oddly. She wasn't concerned enough to leave the home, however. Knowing what we know now, it seems that the text to her phone indicated premeditation. He likely knew what he was going to do and was attempting to lay the groundwork for a self-defense claim. Were it not for the recordings on Jeanette and Candace's phones, as well as the not-so-small detail that all three had been shot in their backs, he might have gotten away with it. According to legal analyst Russ Stone in an interview with 8 News, legally what would be required to establish self-defense is a person has to have not been the person who started the argument, and they have to have been reasonably in fear of death. Considering the footage found in evidence and the location of the gunshot wounds, this very clearly was not a self-defense situation. That's even before you factor in his history. And before I get into that, I'm going to go ahead and take a quick ad break. Hey, Cursed Ones. Since you're listening to my podcast, I can only assume that, like me, you're into the dark and spooky sides of life that most people tend to stay away from. If that's the case, you'll love the new partnership I'm a part of. I've partnered with Melodramatic Fine Art to bring you a beautiful set of five spooky-looking postcards. Personally, I'm framing and hanging mine. They're so cool. I'm not sending them to anybody. They are mine. (laughs) Each postcard is five by seven inches, has a matte finish, and features photographs of eerie, spooky shit that I just cannot get enough of. We're talking dark chandeliers, a bathtub full of dirt and leaves, random toilet brush art that you'll have to see to believe. Not to mention, the creator of these is one of my very first supporters. So if you could help me support her, head to thricecursepod.com and click the menu option postcard set or search melodramatic fine art on Etsy. Make sure to use code thrice10 at checkout for 10% off. Hey there, Rainbow Warriors. I'm CJ, host of Beyond the Rainbow, true crimes of the LGBT. My episodes focus on crimes committed by and against the LGBTQ community. I've covered cases you probably have heard of, such as Matthew Shepard, Brandon Tina, and the Orlando Pulse nightclub massacre, as well as some lesser-known cases like the murder of Ray Hainish, the Australian gay beat murders, and the suspicious disappearance of Lisa Lynn Stone. I cover cases brought to me by listeners like Penny Brummer, who I believe was wrongfully convicted. Taboo cases such as lesbian corrective rape and murder in South Africa and Pray the Gay Away camps. I discuss gay serial killers, women who pretend to be men to hook up with other women and trans murders. I'm opinionated and uncensored. I know I'm not everyone's cup of tea, but surely I'm someone shot at tequila. No matter what your gender or orientation in life might be, please join me as I tackle rainbow crimes in search of unicorn justice. Remember, it's not a crime to be gay, unless you're a murderer. All right, we are back. Despite having been an active member of Grace Lutheran Church, a pastor, and even director of youth services, 
this kind of behavior isn't exactly unheard of for Gaddis. According to 8 News, police had previously been dispatched to the Gaddis home seven times in the past eight years, one of which was for a disturbance with a weapon. Outside of the home, Gaddis was charged with public intoxication in 2010. The charge for this was later waived. In December of 2012, he was charged with assault and battery when he attacked a newspaper delivery man. According to alleged victim Kevin DeFord, he had been delivering a Richmond.com paper when Gaddis grabbed the paper, ran out in front of Kevin's car, then threw the paper through Kevin's open window, hitting him on the head. Kevin's son had been with him that day and jumped from the car in an attempt to protect his father. That's when Gaddis allegedly pulled out a box cutter and waved it at the sun. Kevin is quoted as saying, He was out doing leaves that day, if I remember correctly, and just lost it is the best I can describe it. My question is, aside from me, who the fuck takes a box cutter with them to rake or blow leaves? I don't get it. Personally, I try to keep a box cutter on me when I'm outside because no one fucks with a bitch with a box cutter. A knife? Eh. Box cutter? No way, she cry. Anyway, doesn't make sense. Kevin described Gaddis's general appearance and behavior that day as agitated, which Gaddis later explained to Kevin, likely in an attempt to get the charges dismissed. According to Gaddis, he'd received a test result he'd been waiting on from his doctor and was waiting for them to call back with another one. According to various court records involved with the murder charges, Gaddis paid $300 a month in medical expenses and had only $2,000 in savings. Healthcare in America, am I right? <sighs> I love it here. The charge against Gaddis for assault and battery was dismissed in January of 2013. Perhaps his talk worked. Friends of Gaddis, however, say they were shocked when news of the murders broke. Despite his penchant for violent or reckless behavior, friends on social media said things like, I know the family and am in shock. Chris was always nice and soft-spoken and seemed very happy with Jeanette when I last saw them a couple years ago. Interestingly enough, one friend said that Christopher used to drink, but quit. During the argument over the spilled wine, Gaddis had been drinking. Not that it's unheard of for alcoholics to relapse, but it's just a factor. Another friend of Chris wrote, I knew Chris and have recently worked with him on some ministry projects together. He seemed like a good-natured man who loved God, his family, and his youth group. Just so hard to make sense of how Chris could do such a thing. Sadly, you never know what is going on behind closed doors. One neighbor, Mike Brown, said that he was stunned by the shooting and that he knew Christopher Gaddis as a gentleman. He had no idea the couple was having problems. And that brings me to one of my biggest beliefs in life. Thanks to true crime and my own childhood, I don't necessarily subscribe to the whole keep your private drama private belief. Sure, people don't need every single detail, but if you're feeling unsafe in your home, if your partner's acting weird, if there's been a serious dynamic shift, it's okay to tell someone. It doesn't have to be a Facebook post. It doesn't have to be a family member if you don't want it to be. Just tell someone that you trust. 
and create an in-case-I-go-missing file. Obviously, this case has been solved, but there are so many that haven't been, and several of which seem pretty obvious, but due to a lack of evidence or whatever other unfortunate circumstance, they remain unsolved. An in-case-I-go-missing file could help. I will be providing a link from Uncovered.com in the blog post to help you get your file started. 58-year-old Christopher Gaddis was arrested on scene without incident. He was held without bond at the Chesterfield County Jail and was charged with three counts of first-degree murder and three counts of use of a firearm in the commission of a felony. In June of 2018, a suppression hearing was held. Gaddis's attorney attempted to argue that his words at his home that evening should not be legally admissible in court, as Gaddis had not yet been placed under arrest or read his Miranda rights. Responding officer Frazier testified that Gaddis had only been detained initially in order to better understand the situation, before determining that Gaddis should be arrested and reading him his rights. However, it was argued that based on case law, in an emergency situation, a suspect can be handcuffed and placed in investigative detention prior to Miranda being read. Court Judge Timothy J. Howler ruled that the statements made by Christopher Gaddis on the evening of the murders prior to him being read his Miranda rights, were admissible for trial. After a jury heard the details of the time leading up to the cold-blooded murders of Candace Coons, Andrew Buthorn, and Jeanette Gaddis, and viewed the video recording from that evening, 59-year-old Christopher Gaddis pleaded guilty to three counts of first-degree murder on August 15, 2018. Gaddis was sentenced to 100 years in prison for each of the counts, with 45 years suspended on each. All three terms are to be served concurrently, which somehow gives him an active sentence of 58 years. I'm not really sure how that math works out. Maybe it's that fancy common core math I've heard so much about from the youths and parents of youths. I don't know. <laughs> if you understand how three 100-year terms with 45 years suspended, served concurrently, becomes 58, please give your girl a shout. I'm pretty sure that as long as I've been alive, 100 minus 45 is 55. Did they add three for the amount of people he murdered? I, 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 I don't get it. Help. Anyway, Jeanette Lau Gaddis was 58 at the time of her murder and was described as bubbly and vivid, a stark opposite to Christopher. Neighbors said she was the kind of person who would do anything for those who needed it. She loved to travel and spend time with others, and was overall a very outgoing and genuine human being. Her obituary reads, Brought up a Lutheran with a German heritage, she loved to have a good time with others and entertained often. She will be missed by so many people, especially her son and extended family. Candace Lau Kunz was only 30 when she was killed. To her friends and family, she was known as Candy. According to her obituary, she had an indescribable zest for life and for travel. She always wanted to expose the beauty in the world. Candy combined her love of travel with her profession and became a traveling physical therapist. Andrew Ellis Buthorn's obituary reads, He will be remembered for his love of life, his enthusiasm for living, be it playing the guitar, riding his bike or beating his dad in golf. He was a history buff and a beer and coffee connoisseur. Most importantly, Andrew loved his family more than anything. 
This has been the cursed tale of the triple homicide at Thanksgiving, when one janky freshwater bitchfish, instead of being grateful for those who loved him, decided to kill them instead. If you're experiencing extreme stress over the holidays or extreme loneliness, please go to warmline.org. There you will find a directory of local warm lines you can call to talk with someone. Whether you are in crisis or not, someone will be available to help you. Or if you have phone anxiety like I do, you can text the crisis text line. Text MHA to 741-741 for support. In addition to these resources, reach out to people you know. Many of us experience severe emotional distress around the holidays, and peer support is everywhere. Furthermore, from my own experiences, I would like to leave you all with this message. Yes, the holidays are upon us. With that being said, you are not obligated to enter a situation or a circumstance that you're uncomfortable with. Your mental health and emotional health is a good enough reason to stay home. Someone else's feelings are not paramount to your own. People don't change just because it's a holiday. If they've shown you who they are, believe them. Protect yourself. Whether it's from emotional danger or physical, prioritize your safety and wellness this year. You matter. You are loved. And if you're feeling lonely, join us in the Discord server or the Facebook group. I can't promise we'll always respond immediately, and you absolutely should not prioritize the group over crisis resources. But if you're just feeling alone, need to vent, or want someone to talk to, we'll be there. So to anyone listening, this year, I'm thankful for you. Happy Thanksgiving. When tension file... How dare you? (laughs) How gosh darn dare you destroy my recording by coughing? (laughs) Are you good? Can I record now? Did you just whisper something? That was creepy. Okay. (laughs) Despite having been an active member of Grace Grace. And even director of you. Oh my god, why can't I speak? Why are you making that face? Are you listening to me? Huh? You're making a face. You're not listening to me, are you? I know. Very funny cartoon. (laughs) Fun of Jordan Peterson's great. Okay, good, because I'm not that funny. You may continue. Despite all of this past behavior, nope. Pled guilty, nope. Prioritize the group of crisis or. What?